Welcome to Center Stage with international opera star Pamela Kuhn. And now, here is your host, Pamela Kuhn. And the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. And this is Pamela Kuhn reporting live from London. For the past two weeks, I have been here teaching and coaching 30 opera singers. It has been a fantastic time of discovery for us all. The work has been intense, and I have been uplifted from many of the performances from the singers. But even with that kind of work, you have to take advantage of the delights that London has to offer. The most notable of which was hearing tenor Jonas Kaufmann in his first Otello at the Royal Opera House. It was a thrilling performance. But the most touching moment for me here, besides some of the lives that I have helped enhance in my work, has been meeting with my old friend, Jonathan Finney. He and I had a deeply personal visit at the home of the legendary filmmaker, the late Stanley Kubrick. And yes, there will be an interview to follow in the coming months with some of the Kubrick family members. But more on all of that later. Let's get to today's show. About two months ago, I decided to start something new on Center Stage, an open dinner with notable guests and all based on the Benjamin Franklin ideal of a weekly dinner discussion to speak about topics pertinent to the day. Benjamin Franklin made many off- offerings to this country and the world, which would change the way we conduct our lives. He was a generous man interested in humanity, and he served to strengthen it. And to that end, he established a weekly dinner club where he would meet with 12 other men to discuss topics such as a good book that they had been read, or some young person that showed talent that perhaps they could stand behind and forward into the world. His dinner group was called the Yunto, which is derived from the Spanish and means to join. They would meet in a tavern or house and discuss subjects that included morals, politics, or natural philosophy. Franklin set down 13 virtues that the group used to guide the conversation. The guide, the group was so popular that members gathered books from their personal collections and started a lending library within the Viunto. This was the first step towards a public lending library, as it would come to be known in the colonies. Now, in the same tone of mutual improvement that Franklin established within his group, I think he would have been proud of my first Viunto dinner, an evening with six artists and mentors. The guests included visual artists Dimitri Wright and Mary Newcomb, jazz pianist and educator Joyce D. Camillo, concert pianist Larissa Friedenberg, executive director of the Waterbury Symphony Robert Chinante, and artistic director of Connecticut Ballet Brett Raphael. None of these people knew each other. I challenged each guest to stay with one of the 13 virtues while they contributed to the conversation. What happened was a fantastic self-exploration of discipline for my guests while they wrestled with the two important questions that I posed to them. And I am proud to say that by the end of the dinner, each person had built a bridge with each other in a humbling example of self-expression and camaraderie through the arts. Let's hear part one of this dinner, the maiden voyage of what I hope will become regular Ben Franklin dinners on center stage. We will start discussing the 13 virtues. 
All right, everyone, have you had a chance to check out the 13 virtues? Temperance, silence, order, resolution, frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, tranquility, chastity, and humility. So has everyone chosen a favorite, a favorite <laughs> word that resonates with them? Yeah? Yes. <laughs> I know I have. They're very intense. <laughs> well, it is. And in the time of Benjamin Franklin, when all of this transpired, temperance to him, and this is from his autobiograph- autobiography, is eat not to dullness, drink not to elevation. Mm-hmm. Silence, speak not what may benefit others or yourself. Avoid trifling conversation. I mean, I think this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Order, let all your things have their places. Let each part of your business have its time. Resolution, resolve to perform what you ought. Perform without fail what you resolve. This is really good. Frugality, make no expense but to do good to others or yourself. Waste nothing. Industry, or we should say industrious at this point. Lose no time. Be always employed in something useful. Cut off all unnecessary actions. (laughs) Sincerity. Use no hurtful deceit. Think innocently and justly. And if you speak, speak accordingly. Justice. Wrong none by doing injuries or omitting the benefits that are your duty. I think this is really important. Moderation. Avoid extremes. Forbear resenting injuries so much as you think they deserve. Cleanliness. Tolerate no uncleanliness in body, clothes, or habitation. Tranquility. Be not disturbed at trifles or at accidents common or unavoidable. Chastity. Now, this is a good one. Rarely use venery, but for health or offspring. Never to dullness, weakness, or the injury of your own or another's peace or reputation. And venery meaning a a sexual habit. And then the last is humility. Imitate Jesus and Socrates. Now, that's a tall order. (laughs) But in a way, it's brilliant, isn't it? Because there you have the spiritual, and Mm -hmm. and you have the mindfulness, and the wisdom of Socrates. So it's not just a religious kind of inspiration that that is um, guiding this group. I love it. Wonderful. Now, as we know, there are several yuntos around in, in various cities across America. And they all seem to have a different purpose. But what I love, what I love about it, is the discipline of being part of it. You know, it really infers that all of us have to work. So there's a certain discipline that's so beautiful about what we're doing right now, and and trying, uh, you know, by broadcasting this to inspire others. All right. So in the tradition of Benjamin Franklin. I'm going to be Ben, and I'm going to compare, and I'm going to field two questions to you. And I really want you to think about the 13 virtues. Because, you know, um, you think about that wonderful book, The Four Agreements. Have we all read this? By a wonderful, wonderful self-help psychology book. The four agreements that keep you going through life, and they all have to do with working hard, staying in the moment, being honest, don't lie, you know, and just being true. So that's what we're doing tonight, or hoping to, okay? All right, so first let's go around the table and introduce ourselves, and I'm going to start with Dimitri. Yes, uh, Dimitri Wright, an impressionist painter, 
uh, art educator, a former administrator, um, experience with fine art and applied art. Um, presently, my focus is on Impressionist painting at uh, Weir Farm National Historic Site and Silver Mine Art Center. Brilliant. Thank you, Dimitri Wright. Robert. Uh, Robert Chinante, the recently appointed executive director of the Waterbury Symphony Orchestra, which is about to celebrate its 80th season. That is the 80th season, really, yes. in Waterbury. And tell everyone where you worked before that. I uh, came here from the Virginia Opera, where I was the director of the Education and Outreach Program. And he was mm -hmm. mighty fine. They were sorry to lose him. <laughs> Mary Newcomb. Yes, I'm an artist, and I'm also the co-director of the Greenwich Art Society in Greenwich. Um, but I started a um, program called Mingled Arts, and it's out of a desire to share culture and infuse kids, especially in inner cities, with exposure to the highest and best um, cultural things that I can give them. Wonderful. And Fantastic. that is who I am. We're already We're getting the already connection. Getting like the, the, I love this. The wink and the nod, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. We want you. We want you. Okay, good. Good. I like, I and like Brad? Uh, I'm director of Connecticut Ballet, which I founded 35 years ago. And we just celebrated our 35th anniversary. Mm -hmm. So we're high off of that. Um, I'm a choreographer, a teacher, and a director. And um, still a sometimes dancer. Mm -hmm. uh, when necessary, I jump into character parts. But I'm happy to be here to That's fantastic. represent the dance. That is fantastic. And you've built a huge machine of a dance company. Larissa. Yes, um, I'm Larissa Friedenberg. I'm a pianist. And among being all the uh, hats that I wear as a pianist, I'm a pianist for the Angel Choir. <laughs> um, I'm also a mother of an aspiring concert pianist. Sometimes he wants to be an organist <laughs> lately, <laughs> but um, I'm uh, really thrilled about that. I, um, I also run a few uh, meetup groups that have to do with classical music and the arts, and I'm trying to get people to come out to concerts and uh, uh, art shows uh, from you know theater, opera in HD, anything we can do to inspire people to come out and go to this dance. And when I first met Larissa, I met her in the dance studio at Latin Moves when she was a little hot, sassy salsa dancer <laughs> and, <laughs> and tango. Wow. She's quite a wow. fine tango wow. artist. That's an art Very form. impressive. You get addicted to that, yes. Joyce. I'm Joyce DiCamillo. Yeah. I'm a career jazz pianist and educator and uh, spent uh, many years as an arts administrator and um, stepped down two years ago from that to form Project Music. I'm the board chair of Project Music, and we um, actually, it's a social program masquerading as a music program, and it teaches Stanford's inner-city children music in an immersive program based on El Sistema, mm. the Venezuelan project, which has lifted hundreds of thousands of children out of poverty all over the world. So we're very excited. We're in our third season, and uh, we're changing lives as I see it. So fantastic. And she has the greatest hair in the world. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you too. <laughs> if you live long enough, you can have it too. <laughs> so I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, uh, I'm surrounded by greatness, really. Because, well, seriously, because all of you have achieved so much in your area. You know, and I think, as an artist, I know how hard it is to keep motivated. 
-hmm. It's hard for all of us to keep going. It's groups like this that we can actually kind of measure up and see, you know, what we've done. I mean, I, I recently did a presentation at the Retired Men's Association. But, you know, it forced me to actually look back over my life and kind of really, really archive everything I've done. Yes. And it's a wonderful kind of reckoning. I mean, and I think, you know, we need to do this and we need to offer back and, and give back, of course. And, and all of us in this room are capable of doing that. So let's let's have a little toast to the maiden voyage okay. of our junto. Let's call it the Bruce Park Drive junto. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. For want of a better word. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Please dig in. Dig in. Enjoy your food. We have um, uh, a penne bolognese with a little cream sauce. And I think we have some balsamic vinaigrette here. And um, garlic bread from the good old meat market in Greenwich, which is fantastic. All right. Are we ready? Are we ready to answer some questions and do our duty and our due diligence as part of our junto? Okay. My first question to all of you is <clears throat> choosing one of the 13 virtues. Please do think upon this and answer. What single moment has defined you as the artist that you are today? Okay, I think you need a few bites of food. And what single moment has defined you as the artist you are today? And I really want you to consider the 13 virtues because we need some sort of template guideline. I can I'll see we're all here. jumping in. <laughs> we're all thinking, but mostly we're thinking about that food in front of us, which is really darn yeah. good. Okay, choice, Camillo. Well, when you put out a question like that, I mean, you really have to jump to what came first in your mind. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought about humility, and I thought about my mentors. Um, one of whom was Marion McPartland, the great Marion McPartland, a jazz pianist. And um, she had a show, Piano Jazz, before she passed away for many years on NPR. And she, hmm. she interviewed me on the show. And, um, you know, you reflect back on a similar thing. So mm -hmm. I, I'm thinking humility because I, I became a member of IAJE, which is the International Association of Jazz Educators. And I remember going to the... Um, going to the women's caucus in there. And, I mean, as a woman jazz pianist, you know, it's a man's world yeah. in mm -hmm. jazz. It's a man's mm -hmm. world. And um, I remember being at the women's caucus, and, and I was a lot older than the, the fledgling jazz musicians in the room, the women jazz pianists, who were, who were um, I, I would say, almost militant. And I had learned from Marion McPartland, you know, and... One of the things she told me was that um, you don't enter an arena unless you're ready. So, um, meaning you have to pay your dues, and right. and you have to, especially in the jazz world, sitting in, quote unquote, is what you do to mm -hmm. to learn from the masters and to mm -hmm. and to mm -hmm. be mentored. And I remember thinking at that moment that um, I was where I was because I was humbled by that experience of waiting, of having to mm. wait and wanting to wait and, and realizing that the women in the room 
were young, didn't have the benefit of those kinds of mentors because there are fewer and fewer, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, and and um, and I remember thinking if I, and I did stand up and say a few things about it, but if I could tell these women, you know, they were angry, they weren't getting a shot on stage, they weren't. You know, they weren't getting recognized by the men. The men were, you know, were doing their thing and were not um, recognizing them on stage. And I thought, oh, gee, I have never had that. I've never had that experience in all the years I've been a jazz pianist. Mm -hmm. And I was maybe in my 40s at the time. And these women were in their 20s. And I thought, well, gee, when I was in my 20s, I wasn't looking for that. You know, I had been already told... You're not ready yep. to get on the stage mm-hmm. with any master, mm-hmm. you know. So you wait your turn in and life with, with humility. With humility, yes, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. and you realize your place in the scheme of things, you know, in the scheme of life, and you kind of wait patiently and mm-hmm. perfect your craft. Yeah, you perfect just keep perfect. perfecting mm-hmm. your craft. This is the thing: you keep the the work going, yeah, and right. until you're really there, and. Are you there yet? Choice there? Well, well, there is no there. <laughs> Depends on what there there means, whatever that sentence does. Because I think the greatest thing about being an artist is that we're lifelong learners. Mm. Yeah. It, it, it's just a beautiful thing. But I have it to say, not everyone that. is an educator. This is true. So if you seek this out um, the mentors who, you know, have the gift for that, and not the ones who can't mm-hmm. wait to put mm-hmm. you down because, you know, yeah. they're threatened or whatever you know because the, I find in jazz and in classical music I, I mean you know the atmosphere in a conservatory was one I did not want so I specifically turned down Eastman and Hart and went to Syracuse University because I wanted that broad range mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. background and I, and I didn't think I could tolerate the conservatory atmosphere to tell you the truth because music was never about competition for me never and um, so when I went to uh when I went to school, you know, I realized that, uh, you know, certain things had to be done in order. So that's just right. where I right. Where it's I that age-old thing for everything. There is a season. And, that's right. And and you have to do all the groundwork first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know you and I talked about this, Dimitri, on when I interviewed you. You know that everything has to be a succession mm-hmm. of work. And didn't you also say that, you know, if you want to be a visual artist and a great one, you better get uh, study as a graphic artist as well. Yes. Just to have something to fall back on. Yeah. And, and to learn a sort of humility that, that Joyce is talking about. Yeah, my choice would be humility. Um, seeking a balance between fine art and applied art. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I often say that I graduated first in my class, but my first paying job... This is academy training. Um, was painting barbershop signs. <laughs> I was thankful. So <clears throat> that that could have wrecked me if my head got too big. Yeah. I mean, after that, I won the Max Beckman International Scholarship, <clears throat> but I still did whatever was necessary to pay the bills mm-hmm. along the way. And I've done other things. Um, I taught art therapy in a prison program for three years. That's right. And that was very intense, but there's a real need there. And the income was steady at the time, and I was putting my wife through medical school. So um, it was a great gratitude that I could use the arts Mm. as a way to Mm. communicate who I am and that it had some value. 
and that the fine art and applied art was kind of like a, a two-handed experience, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yes, we like to paint a great painting, but perhaps the opportunity at the time was to illustrate a chiropractic mm-hmm. medical journal, mm-hmm. you know, or a, a science book or something like that. And just to see the work published for me was really wonderful. It's fantastic. I think it has a lot to do with the, the teachers that you surround yourself with. If you yeah. see them doing yeah. that, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's okay, then it sends mm-hmm. a signal that that's normal. And, and jo- Joyce introduced that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like, okay, we're all mucking in here, doing what we have to do in the beginning, yes. and this is, this is who we admire. Well, I made a decision early on that I was not going to work in anything that was not related to the arts and science. Mm-hmm. Ah, a conscious so decision I made a that you were going to be the starving that. artist, even if, you know, you had to go Well, out. that's why I taught. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I've taught since I was 17, mm-hmm. 16, mm-hmm. really. And then I became an arts administrator, you know, and, and, I, and I did, whatever I did was <clears throat> integrated in, with the arts. Mm-hmm. There's a track there. Yeah, it's interesting because some of the other artists which consider themselves purists would say if you're a teacher or an administrator, right. you're sold out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got a lot of that. A lot of pressure with that. Yeah. Yep, and it's relentless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of selling out necessary. I mean, I played at taxi stands and you know, liquor stores <laughs> and opening train station. Opening I morning. love that. Mm-hmm. Wherever love the that. work is, that's yeah. where you go. Yeah, it's work. But it's, 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 it's work. Yeah. It's work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And every time you play somewhere, even if you feel like you're selling out, there's always somebody who comes over and says, "I love your music. That's yeah. right. I just love what you did." So if you reach at least one person, that's right. That's mm-hmm. just one more than zero. Right. Mm-hmm. That's and nice. There are right. people there. Mm-hmm. Touch one person. Really, that's exactly. important. That's right. I, I dealt with a lot of pushback when I uh, I made a very conscious decision to go into arts management, and there was a lot of uh, pushback that I was selling out. But for me. My sort of coming to arts management, I would sort of say it was a combination of humility and justice. And when I use the term justice, more in a, a sense of social justice, mm-hmm. which yeah. we mm-hmm. talked about a bit with the Systema type programs and mm-hmm. the education programs and outreach that uh, some of us are involved in at the table. And for me, it was I, my initial training was as an artist, as a, a flutist, and then a singer. Uh, and that's how I initially met uh, mm. Pamela. Actually, was I was singing in a competition that she was judging. Um, But for me, I was a student at New England Conservatory and attended a concert that was being given by Music for Food. And this was a fairly new initiative founded by Kim Kashkashian, who's a violist, Grammy Award winner, uh, faculty member at, at New England Conservatory. And she presents chamber music concerts, and the idea is that the funds or food collected at the chamber music concerts go directly back to a food pantry, hunger relief organization, local to where that concert is, not to some far-off distant (laughs) need, but to one right in the community where the concert is is being performed. So I went to one of these concerts, and to have her uh, stand up and talk about hunger in that community, in the, in the community of Boston, which we think of as a very yeah. affluent, well-to-do community, that was a, a very humbling moment for me, and it sort of galvanized me towards social justice. And mm-hmm. from my own personal path, I saw arts management as a, a vehicle to, to fulfill that and to 
sort of fulfill this need that I always had, this sort of yearning that I wanted to serve a cause greater than myself. And I think artists find a way to do that. But for me particularly, I felt being in a leadership role and seeing that as my long-term track was the way uh, that I could get there. And, you know, it was interesting you said about selling out and seeing. I think that a truly dedicated arts administrator can actually identify with the starving artist. I think there's less of a a separation than people uh, You are a starving artist. Exactly. Exactly. We're still starving on that. A anyone, starving artist who works many, many Anyone that's right. in a nonprofit. Exactly. Yeah, you got that's it. true. Yeah. Very well said, that's Robert. Very, Very well, well said. said. Yeah. Because, and also I think you have that personality thing about being a leader. I mean, that that, that came to the surface, didn't it, when you were at mm. New England Conservatory, really? I guess so, yeah. Yeah. You, you wanted to get in there and roll up your sleeves and really make things better. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's an amazing thing. I still think you're only 19 or 18. I guess. <laughs> Brett, how did this play out for you then at, at the beginning of your career? Um, well, of all of them, I would say at this point, I'm certainly humility, but industry is an industriousness <laughs> yep. has a uh-huh. lot to do with one's you. success. Over you the years. who wears so many hats <laughs> launching at this huge. Oh, the well, company and making it work yeah, out being in the able regional to, area. To pull all the tools that one has coming out of one's childhood mm-hmm. and, and early adulthood, mm-hmm. um, and putting that into a wonderful um, organizational context and building it. It's it takes a certain amount of industriousness, and I, I was fortunate to watch. Uh, choreographers in particular who I loved uh, in the ballet world, some of whom took me on as a um, as a mentee, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, or I self-adopted them as mentors, mm-hmm. uh, specifically mm-hmm. a woman named Anna Sokolo, who was a great modern choreographer and self-made, I mean, this is the story of the first and second generation of American dance, it's everybody self-made. And for that matter, the current generation. I mean, right. No one's anointing you. You you do it yourself, so you have to have a certain amount of um, self-direction. But I was fortunate to be able to watch a gentleman named Glenn Tetley, who was a great choreographer, an American choreographer, who was a modern dancer, and then segued to ballet. And he, um, I mean, basically, I just had the, the nerve to call him up and ask him if, he, if I could have lunch with him and would he be interested in helping me uh, and sort of steering me so he became very interested and turned out really enjoyed the whole idea of sharing all of the arts with me I mean I was already arts oriented Mm -hmm. but I had never for example been taken to see Richard Foreman's ontological hysteric theater downtown um, in Soho Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. you know I mean the gentleman opened my eyes to so many things and I realized that this is more than a choreographer. This is just an extraordinary human being. Right. Uh, he, he, he had a home in Spoleto in Italy. He opened up Europe for me. You know, just all of that. And that's... I'm trying to do that in my small way for others now. Mm-hmm. I see there's... A, it's just this openness that he showed toward me. And then I was able to utilize those tools that he taught me and, uh, and others, too. So what I'm hearing from everybody so far is mentorship mm-hmm. is like the key element to our growth, especially mm-hmm. in the young mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the, I've actually done two shows on my show, Center Stage, about mentorship, because I feel it's so profoundly important. Oh, my God. 
you know, for me, I came from a, a town of 125 people in eastern Oregon with absolutely mm-hmm. no arts around me except for the beauty of nature, which we can all argue is the greatest of all. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My father still doesn't forgive me for not being a country western singer, but we'll get past that. <laughs> I hope you'll listen next Tuesday for part two of the Bruce Park Yunto Dinner on Center Stage with Pamela Kuhn at 9 a.m. And the curtain is now down. Thank you.